Hey, hey, what up? This podcast with Doug and the Hangover Edition. We are back at it again here in the Davis McCord State Farm Studio. I'm your host, Zach Barry. Before I bring in my road dog and co-host, Ben Woodhouse, I'm going to remind you of the sponsors that make this lovely show possible. I mentioned we were in the Davis McCord State Farm Studio. He is your one-stop shop in Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. Give Davis a call, 901-755-6110 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Podcast also brought to you by Sola on South Lamar in Oxford, Mississippi. Football's back. Ole Miss returns to Oxford, 5-1, and 2-1 and one in the SEC. They will host LSU in probably the most anticipated home game in some time for the Rebels. The Rebels is there. Top 15 in the country. All kinds of turmoil and just God knows what going on in Baton Rouge. So it'll be a big weekend. Get there early. And uh, when you do, go check out Sola. Chef Erica and her team are bringing top-notch cuisine and libations to you six days a week. So whether that's happy hour three to six, fresh squeezed margaritas, ramen, two-for-one Moscow mules, all of that and more is available to you in-house or via curbside pickup. Check them out, solaoxford.com, or call them at 662-238-3500 and place your order today. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's Meat Market in Oxford, 2008 University Avenue. Greg and the folks there are still offering the Podcast Rebellion perk. All you got to do is tell them you listen to the show or you read Red Cup Rebellion or you're one of our now 30,000 Twitter followers. Hit a big milestone on the old Twitter sphere uh, this weekend. So if you uh, take this show, uh, if you, uh, I should say, listen to this show, if you, uh, yeah, I guess you could take it to, uh, to friends and let them hear it once you've done so. Um, tell them you read Red Cup Rebellion or, uh, you know, anything pertaining to this site or this podcast. Greg and the folks will give you a 16-ounce prime strip for $15 and a pack of sauces for five. So that's $20 for a hell of a deal. And all you got to do is tell them that you listen to the show. That's LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. The place to get the best protein for all of your Ole Miss grilling needs. Ben, we survived. Neyland Stadium. Uh, you know, the, the kids these days use the term, it was a movie. Um and I'll be damned if it wasn't very eerily similar to some kind of weird, I mean, Halloween, Halloween's right around the corner. So it was some kind of thriller, uh, if you will, um, in Neyland Stadium on Saturday. It was, uh, it was awfully bizarre and uh, at times pretty, pretty dangerous. So, um what an experience, you know, the, like the, uh, if we just start from, I guess the entering the stadium and, and running through the tea and everything, I don't know that you can get a better pregame atmosphere than what they had going on at, uh, Neyland yesterday. They like the, uh, uh, they had a flyover. They had special videos. They, um, had an led light show. Um, it was extremely loud. I mean, they had pretty much packed it out. 
I mean, when I say packed it out, the fans all got to the game 30 minutes before kickoff. I'm sorry if you hear my dog. He's going crazy in the background. But um, um, it's a – I mean, they were lit. They There was – that place was wound up. And I don't know if it was about – I think it was a combination that they had won a couple of, of SEC games in back-to-back weeks against weak opponents. But they had – like we had talked about or I had talked about – on Thursday on the um, Legal Gambling Council show, we uh, uh, they blew them out. And so they were riding high. You you add that in with uh, Lane Kiffin is coming in with Ole Miss and uh, add that in with it being perfect weather and a 7.30 kickoff local time. And the places was just – I mean, it was just exploding – and then, you know, uh, we'll get into the game in just a second. But, I mean, really, for up until that last minute, hats off to him. I mean, that that was as good of a college football, you know, experience as you could basically have. The, you know, from it, what was interesting, I thought, was the transition from the start of the game with Tennessee's band. You know, they, they have that tradition of playing the opposing team's fight song. And the entry and the lead up which to is, the game, which is very cool. Never seen that. It's very cool. It's all about like the pageantry of college football, more so than you know the uh, <clears throat> what transpired at the end of the game. I mean, they don't get me wrong; they were testy from Friday from the time I got there on Friday and walked into my hotel lobby to the time we left. I mean, they they were not welcoming. They really didn't want any Ole Miss people to be there, and they were looking for a fight pretty much the entire time. That was my experience. Yeah, it was it was extremely volatile, like the entire day. Um, you know, I was pretty neutral in my attire for the game. Um, I, you know, represented Red Cup and, and wore my uh, – my hat, but that was about it. Um, you were too. We were both pretty, pretty modest with our, you know, we didn't yeah. wear, you know, a ton of Ole Miss stuff, but I mean, they could pick out who was not a Tennessee fan. And it was pretty, I mean, for lack of a better term, it was pretty violent, like verbally. I mean, obviously didn't have any confrontations physically with anyone. Um, but, you know, I don't mind playful banter slash trash talk. I mean, whatever. That's part of going that's into – That's part of it. I agree. Part of going into an SEC stadium that's not bought him anyway. So that's fine. Um, yeah. But, man, just everything at the end was just – it just got dangerous. I mean, people were literally hurling objects from the upper deck. And this wasn't like, you know, I've seen a lot of people that want to put the blame on, well, I can't believe the Tennessee students were – no, it wasn't students – like, I'm sure students were a part of it, but no, I mean, the student section, we could see the student section. And unless they are able to throw a beer can and curve it to where it lands behind the uh, the bench of the Ole Miss team, um, which if they can, I mean, you know, Tony Vitello might need to talk to him about coming out and playing baseball. But I mean, it was upper deck, lower deck, lower level. I mean, it was just a, it literally the was. Section, yeah, uh, I mean, it was. was- pretty much universally around the field that they were throwing stuff on. It was, it did not come just from one place. I mean, that, yeah, that's, no. I mean, maybe the majority did. I think that's probably fair, fair to assume, 
but it wasn't, there weren't like just a handful of things thrown on the field from the rest of the stadium. I mean, it was, I don't know how many people threw stuff, but if it were less than a thousand, I would kind of be surprised. I felt like it was at least that much. I mean, it lasted for 20 minutes. It was, it was pathetic. And I've told people, I think I talked to you about this today at some point, but I'm convinced that they allowed the game to finish because Tennessee had all three timeouts left and mathematically they were going to have a shot. And I think that is the only reason. I agree. If, if Tennessee, I, 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 if they had had yeah, one timeout left or two timeouts left, they yeah, would I was trying. I was, yeah, I was trying to do the math real quick. I think if they had two, they still would have had a little bit of time. But if they had one, it was over. Um, so I think that's I mean, why like four seconds with two, you yeah. know, or or it would have been it, definitely one. You're right. You're right. I mean, but that it was just a. Uh, I, I just I did not expect what we ran into. I'm not. I mean, I got friends who went to Tennessee and our Tennessee fans, everything. And I'm sure they were fine yesterday. I, I, I assume, but I mean, just the general consensus from eat the entire fan base was like, it was like 20 years of frustration built up into one night and they were going to take it all out on Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Yeah. And then it they was, lost. yeah, it was just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think probably one of the better moments of the evening was in the fourth quarter when their DJ cranked up, turned a uh, third down for what, when they had a third down, it was like third and eight. And uh, the whole place just went absolutely nuts because they haven't played that song in forever. I, I want to say like little John gave them like a season assist or something. Um, something happened. They didn't have the licensing or anyway, but there was like a third and eight, third and nine. And, and the place just went, just erupted. And then, Matt Corral promptly picks up the first down and just silences everybody. It was pretty hilarious, but um, yeah, it was, it was insane. I I still don't understand a lot of things that happened. We'll get into it here um, as we dive into the box score and just kind of what happened throughout this game. Um, Man, just absolutely just an unreal game Um, for those that are whining about Ole Miss paying off the officials. Um, I, I don't know if the check bounced or what, but Ole Miss had 10 penalties to Tennessee six. Um, so I don't get that angle. Um, Ole Miss dominated time possession, 34 minutes. Uh, Ole Miss ran 101 plays, Ben. That's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Got to be a record. I, I, I mean, it's got to be the most plays we've ever run in a regulation football game. Yeah, just just crazy. Um, both teams had 29 first downs. Um, Ole Miss had 510 yards of of a total total yards of offense, I should say. Corral was 21 of 38 for 231. Um, I think you mentioned it earlier today. I mean, he left about 60, 80 yards out there with the drops. Um, probably has four touchdowns instead of two with two uh two of the drops. I know Jacor Pearson either scores on the long one or he's down inside the five. And then on that third down in the red zone, that uh man, just a perfect check at the line blitz came from the right side and they dumped it off right there to Pearson. And I think he scores. There was one guy out there, but I think he's probably getting in the end zone and uh, unable to make the play. Um, it would have, that would have been a tougher catch. 
He still got to yeah. make the catch. Yeah. Um, definitely needs to make that first one. But, you know, you got to stick with him. I mean, I, I, he's out there for a reason. And, um, you know, speaking of good plays, you know, Dennis Jackson made a good play. Um, of course, that's not leaving yards out there for Corral. But, you know, Drummond dropped one or two. We we had several drops during the game. And yeah. I don't I couldn't tell if they were tipped at the line of scrimmage or, or you know, on the on the way to the receiver, you know, they might have been thrown a little bit behind. But some of that is, you know, people are like, "Come on, lead him, Corral." And I'm like, you know, on the crossing routes, and I'm I'm sitting there thinking he may have a uh, a player in, you know, where he has to throw it behind a defender out in front of, let's say, Drummond, where he has to throw it behind a little. That's the window, mm-hmm. and so uh, he's just putting the ball where he can. I mean, I don't think it, this is my, and nobody really gave him a hard time. This is my thing about Corral. I know this is kind of a, a tangent. Like, you really can't say anything about his play. I mean, as he goes, we go at this point. He's the best player in college football. We've been saying that for a few weeks, but he yeah. won the game last night. Matt Corral won it in the defense. Matt Corral in the defense. Yeah, um, leads us right into the the rushing numbers. Almost ran for 279. They ran it 62 times, 4.5 yards per rush. Corral led the way. 30 carries, 195 yards. I mean, oh, we, we were sitting there watching it, you know, most of the time on like a third and medium or a third and long. And me and you were just kind of like, man, just QB draw that shit or just take the snap, go through one, two progressions. If it's not there, just take off. Because I, I don't know what they were doing. Tennessee, for I mean, from our vantage point, I don't know if you saw anything different. I literally do not remember any time that they ever spied him, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't know if Levy and them were doing something with some crossing routes or some in routes that were forcing them to have to cover the middle of the field instead of keeping a guy stationary to watch Corral. But even if they did, I mean, whether it was a spy or if there was – I mean, he made the first guy miss damn near every time. And he was just – I mean, it, it had to have just devastated Tennessee over and over and over and over again. I mean, Ole Miss converted 11 third downs and two fourth downs. I mean, it was just, uh, I mean, I, he's got plenty of plenty of opportunities left to have more quote-unquote Heisman moments. But, I mean, the entire game was a Heisman moment for Matt Corral. Yeah, that was, I mean, he's he's been top two in the Heisman, you know, basically the whole year after maybe the second week after the two-lane game. And he's certainly not dropping out of that at this point. I mean, he, barring him just really sputtering down the stretch, which, you know, nobody expects him to do, mm-hmm. he's going to be in New York. I mean, there's just I mean, I think he's absolutely getting an invite. Um, Chase Palm from uh, rebelgrove.com tweeted um, this morning – that um, after the game, he is now the favorite um, for the Heisman at plus 180. Uh, so it looks like it's a two-team race at this point, him and Bryce Young. Bryce Young's at plus 200. Um, after that, the closest to him is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State at plus 900. So it just appears like it's just going to be the Corral and Young show from here on out. Um, so those two are just going to have to duke it out every week from here on out. So – um, I mean, just, just a masterful performance. I mean, just gutsy. It was a absolutely just circus environment and just 
the ability to extend drives with his feet, um, find guys downfield, extending plays, getting out of the pocket, finding guys open. I mean, we talked about the one to Pearson deep. I mean, dropped it in the bucket, but then the double move to Dennis Jackson that was caught right in front of us. Um, I mean, just the perfect throw and, um, you know, big ups to, to Dennis first career touchdown for him. Um, that was, that was nice to see because guys are going to have to step up. It looks more and more with each passing day that Jonathan Mingo's out for the year and, um, Braylon Sanders was banged up again. So guys are going to have to step up in that wide receiver room. And Dennis was, uh, one of those guys over the weekend that stepped up and, and made some plays, um, two catches, but he averaged 21 yards per catch. So that's, that's huge. That'll get it done when you're getting big chunk plays like that. Oh man. Yeah. You know, the, I was just, as you were talking, I was there thinking about uh, going through all the plays uh, on offense and really the, um, what the interesting thing about yesterday is um, Ole Miss struck. I mean, we, I say we struggled. We kind of, we, we marched the ball down the field um, in the first half, but in, in, you know, in nearly each drive and came away with uh, 24 points. But it could have been, man, it could have been, like you said, 34 at the end of the first half. You know, you got the Pearson drop. We met, That's at minimum. And we missed the field goal. Um, mm-hmm. Now, mind you, Tennessee gave us seven back with the muff punt. Um, sure. So, you know, you got to. You know, we're not the only one who made a mistake, but um, you know, that, and and you about, fact you factor in the nine point swing with the safety, and then they score. Um, so that was huge. So if you correct, that kind of evens things out there with the muff, and then Ole Miss gives them the safety because that was just you know miss blocks. But I mean, Corral's got to get out of there and get rid of it or something. But yeah, so anyway, I mean, if I if I had told you that that Ole Miss was going to, you know, score seven points in the second half of the Tennessee game. Would you have thought we won? Um, I mean, c- considering no. that the total was 82 and a half or 84 and a half or whatever it was, I mean, seven points in the second half, we, I would think, man, we got beat like, you know, we had a good first half, but we ended up getting beat like 48 to 31. Or something, just because we could, they they just eventually, you know, we tried to play catch up and then had some turnovers or something like that. But um, you know that it, it was a Ole Miss won the game by five points, and yes, it came down to a last play where the the quarterback ran out of bounds, and and you know, and we'll get into the stuff, you know, back into the last minute or whatever. Which you know, um, sidebar. Uh, well, I'll, I'll table that just for a second. Um, but it came down last play, but the better team won. I mean, Ole Miss was was significantly better than Tennessee. Like the the game should not have been as close as it was. But as we said on Thursday, road SEC wins are hard. I mean, it's just hard to do. I do mm-hmm. think that if Pearson catches that touchdown early and Ole Miss goes up fourteen to nothing, I, I assume he would have been in the end zone. I, we were down on the other side of the field. He, he gets us inside the five at minimum. Um, right. If Pearson catches that touchdown, or if we go up fourteen nothing the whole complexion of that game could have changed because at that point, Tennessee has to try to keep up and you know that Matt Corral's on the other side of the field. So then you can start rushing the passer more. You can't really, 
you don't have to really account for the run as much because 14 to nothing against Ole Miss does. And I said that this wouldn't happen last week and I was wrong, but that would turn into 28 to nothing or 21, mm-hmm. 28. I mean, because you just can't keep pace at that point. Ole Miss is a very, right. very good lead car. We are very good from out in front. And so it's kind of like Tiger Woods. So, um, anyway, uh, the better team won. Um, and then I have some more, if you want to move, uh, to it, I have some more thoughts on that, that one, you know, what happened towards the end of the game. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that. We're going to take our break when we get back, we'll talk defense and then we'll kind of, I guess, get in the film room and break down the fiasco at the end. And I, I had some, some thoughts on the officiating decisions towards the end. So we'll get to that. So uh, hang tight, hear from the sponsors, and we'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, Go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe an anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views, 
of downtown Memphis of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here, Podcast Rebellion Hangover Edition, recapping Ole Miss's 31-26 win over the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, man, if we're, you know, we talked offense first segment. If we're going to jump into defense here, I think we have to start with number one, Jake Springer. He uh, made his return, first uh, game action since the opener against Louisville, where he was all over the place. Um, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, outside of, outside of talking about Mark Robinson, and Sam Williams, I mean, Springer, in my opinion, was probably the player of the game. 11 tackles, one sack, a tackle for loss. I think he just drastically changes what the defense can do um, personnel-wise. I think he frees up A.J. Finley and Otis Reese to do what they do best. Uh, I think it gives Otis more opportunities to be down in the box, to be physical, to be more involved in the run game. Um he was asked to do a lot in the secondary and cover guys that were just tough matchups for him. Um, and I think that that was, uh, I think it was a little unfair. A lot of the criticism that Reese was getting because he's more of a down in the box type player. Um, yeah. He on the was flip, out of position a little bit. Yeah. And then on the flip side, AJ Finley was freed up to be more of a safety and to cover and be kind of that zone defensive back that, that kind of hangs around and, and just makes plays. Um, he had five tackles um, on the night. So Springer. Good I, I mean, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't I mean to interrupt you. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, he, the old cliche of just having another coach on the field. Um, I mean, I think that's what it was. I mean, he, he's a guy that just seems to know what DJ Durkin wants from the defense in every single set play scheme whatever you want to call it I mean he's very vocal I mean we were down there we could see him on the sideline talking to guys when they were not on the field he was very very vocal when he was on the field 
you know, telling guys where to line up, telling guys, you know, Hey, they're shifting. We need to get, get here. That's what, I mean, it just, uh, you can't really, you know, that th- those kinds of things don't show up in the box score, which is another cliche. But I mean, I think with how the defense played, I mean, I think it rings true for sure. Oh yeah. Look, um, look at this and think of this analogy when you about um, Springer. So let's say Ole Miss basketball. Now you got less players on the court, but just stick with me. Let's say okay. Ole Miss basketball in 2013, or no, let's go later than that. Let's go a more recent player. Um, let's say Sebastian Saiz gets injured. Okay. And, and, and instead of Sebastian Saiz playing center, Ole Miss has to play Tomas Giello or whatever his name is center. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to get abused when he plays against SEC centers because that's not his position. Mm-hmm. And you have to shift everybody on the court to a different, a, another position because Saiz is injured. Now, when you bring size, now size is the best player, but when you bring him back, everybody goes into more of their natural fit. And it, and it, not only do you get better at center, but you get better at every position. And that's kind of what happened with the Springer. It's like you start putting people back into their natural role. And it's kind of like losing Tony Connor, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, same concept. Like you have to rotate everybody down. And suddenly a guy that's supposed to be playing, you know, free safety or strong safety is now playing a hybrid outside linebacker, you know, stinger positioning. You, then you've got, um, but you put Springer in there. And uh, another thing about about him, man, but he also is one of the best, if not the best defensive player. Like, you know, what what we didn't realize was a top three or four defensive player, or we, we did realize, but, you know, weren't paying attention to, is a top three or four defensive player was on the bench, on our team. Mm-hmm. and. And yeah. so, um, you know, because Sam Williams, Campbell, Springer, Reese, those guys are all in that class of players who really need to, you know, play well. Mark Robinson is a good player. So um, having him back was huge. You're exactly right. Man, he made a couple of plays. Mark Robinson did too. We, we, had, we tackled so much better this week than we did last week. I mean, so much better. It's like they, mm-hmm. it's like they literally went back to – fall camp or spring practice or whatever and and worked on form tackling because we absolutely um did better at it this week you know we made a lot of good open field tackle now we we missed some guys i mean they shook us out of our shoes a couple times too that's what happens when you play in the sec you're not going to make every one of them but by and large we made a lot of plays at or behind the line of scrimmage which you know with with this offense going forward if if Ole Miss can hold the opponents to an average of 26 points with Tennessee score tonight, I like our chances to win out. I really do. Yeah. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Like I, uh, maybe AM, maybe AM we would have, you know, trouble score more than that. I don't think so though. I mean, I, I the I think that would be more of an exception, kind of like the Alabama game than the than the rule. I mean, under Ole Miss, under Lane Kiffin with Matt Kraut quarterback, Ole Miss is just gonna put up points. I mean, that's just – Ole Miss didn't play well last night and won a road game in the most hostile environment Tennessee's had in 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was the first first sellout since 2017 when they played Georgia. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was 
that that's something that I thought about today when I was kind of going back and reliving the game in my head and thinking of reactions and um, thoughts about this one. And, and that was the biggest thing to me was this is a game that a team that's not there yet. It's not close to taking that next step to, you know, man, they're, they're, they're just kind of a year or two away. Um, those kinds of teams don't win that game. They don't make those tackles in space that, you know, Sam Williams doesn't come up big with that sack late in the game to force a second and forever. Um, you know, they, they don't, they don't make those big stops on third and short and force Josh Heupel to punt several times. I mean, they had some chances there close to midfield to think about going for it on fourth down. But I mean, this defense for six punts, I mean, Tennessee punted the ball a lot. And I know it's just the punching bag at this point and it's an easy target, but I mean, look, it's, I think the days of defenses holding people under 200 total yards, I mean, outside of, you know, Georgia, because their payroll is similar to what the LA Dodgers have. Um, I mean, those days are gone. I mean, offenses are far more dynamic. Players are better. You have better skill players. And it's just hard to really put the clamps down on people like that, especially when you're a program that is still trying to build quality depth to compete in the SEC week in, week out. But they played the tails off. I mean, the defense, you know, outside of Matt Corral, I mean, Jake Springer and the rest of those guys are the, the players of the game. Um, I think uh, when you look at special teams, I mean, Mac Brown, he hasn't been asked to do a lot of punting this year, but he was fantastic. Four punts. He averaged 45 a punt. That was huge to flip the field. He had a 53-yarder. Um, you know, Caden Costa made a big field goal. Um, the missed one was tough. Um, it was a little bit of a low snap and just, uh, you know, the timing was off and he didn't get it um, in the sweet spot on the foot there to uh, really extend the game. I mean, I think if he makes that field goal, um, the pressure's really on Tennessee late to do something. But, but I mean, it was just a, just another solid at all three in all three phases game. I mean, Matt Corral did throw his first interception of the year. Um, you know, if we're going to be really picky on Corral here, I thought that was a bad decision. Um, rolling towards the boundary, evading the rush. I think he should have either tucked it and just gone out of bounds or thrown it away. Um, I still don't think he completes the pass because it was a very small window and there was a guy in between him and I don't remember who he was trying to get it to, but it was going to be a tough catch. I think yeah. he's just got it. He's just got to eat that one. He does. But I mean, it's how many passes 266 or 366 or whatever, since his last interception, I'll give him a pass. I mean, it's, you know, that was a, that play happened really fast. He w had already, broken a tackle you know who's going to take a sack and he broke that and I think he was just kind of feeling himself and obviously he would want to take that back and throw it out of bounds but I mean you know it, we're going to it, like you said that's being really picky on Corral to do to you know right. to hold him to that standard I mean he just I mean, the does guy, so many the guy, had, the guy had 426 total yards on the road with Two, two of his best receivers out, uh, starting, two tight line, out. Yeah. starting tight end out, two linemen out. I mean, 
to do that in front of a hundred thousand people is insane. Starting tight end was out, but you know, Kelly played pretty well. Um, Yeah, he had had three big catches in the game. What people don't watch, you know, nor what you can't see on TV that, you know, and we were sitting in section A of the tent of uh, uh, Neyland and uh, Corral. So when they were going away from us, it was almost as if we were behind the team, not not entirely, but it was from the corner. So they're going towards the student section as early on and Corral overthrew, I think it was Braylon Sanders on the go route. And mm-hmm. um, what you can't see on TV is he takes the snap and he looks left. I guess it was either at Pearson or Drummond and looks and looks and looks. And you can watch both safeties like sprint. He looked them off and they drifted. 15 yards then he looks back to sanders and he's wide open corral has gotten so good point of that is he's gotten so good and we need to really appreciate how good he is at dictating a secondary with his eyes because man he looks people off he moves them like he dictates Mm -hmm. what the defense does it's incredible yeah i mean it was it's 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 really fun to be able to see what he can again, do with his the, eyes and his shoulders when he manipulates coverage, when you can see he can manipulate the coverage so well. Oh my gosh. And shame on whoever thought they needed to not start him in the, like this guy didn't start uh, in like his sophomore year or freshman year or whatever his second year, I guess COVID throws me off on classification, but that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. To me. He was going to transfer. I mean, Oh yeah. hundred percent. He was going to and, Oregon. And, and and last last night he didn't have his best. I mean, he played well in the second half, but in the first half he didn't have his best stuff. And he he it's almost as if he knew that, and it didn't matter. Like he was like, "Yeah, but we're gonna win anyway." Because, um, and I was listening to I think it was Ben Garrett's show or somebody, and uh, everybody's saying this now. We were saying this last night. I mean, he's this decade's Johnny Football, is is what he is. I mean, it's been seven or eight years since Johnny Football was at a and It's kind of crazy to think about. But um, six years, seven years, whatever. He is – he's that kind of player. I mean, he is so dynamic. He is so dynamic. He's just a special guy. I mean, we need to – Ole Miss fans really need to appreciate what this dude can do. Hey, the thing, the mm-hmm. difference between he and Johnny Football is Corral's a better thrower. Johnny Football might be a little bit faster or a little bit more elusive. But he's not the passer that Corral is. Corral has a cannon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I got a lot of Johnny Manziel vibes at this game with – I mean, you remember those games when he played Ole Miss and beat him two years in a row where it was just, man, you 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 put the screws to him defensively. You forced him into a third and forever or you've got a – a perfect blitz called on a third and nine and you've got him wrapped up and then he just skates out of it and gets the uh, first down and gets out of bounds. I mean, it is because it's like, it, it just felt like time. And again, Ole Miss would be, you know, third and mid or third and long and, and, uh, um, Corral would scramble three yards past the sticks I mean, that had to be frustrating for Tennessee fans to watch and for Tennessee's defense because it just didn't matter. Like, they could have been playing perfect coverage. There could have been guys open. I don't know. It didn't matter because the dude was just going to get the first down, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, and he was doing it. 
he was doing it with, you know, the a makeshift squad. It was kind of like the 2013 LSU game a little bit. And, yeah. and, you know, how many people we had out. I mean, even Lane Kiffin said, I think, in his post-game press conference, that he had not experienced anything like this since the probation days at USC. And so, um, as far as, you know, that many guys out or a depleted roster to that point. Um, yeah, it was just a just a special performance. I mean, you know, gutsy, all the adjectives just, that you use to describe it. I mean, but, but his play was just demoralizing. I mean, I think mentally – that just has to just frustrate and just piss off the defense. I mean, you, you have to think that those linebackers and those defensive backs were just like, what do we got to do? Like we were, you know, like you said, like we've got them covered, but then he just runs for a first down and then the linebackers are, okay, we got him wrapped up in the backfield and then nope, he slips out of it and gets 10 yards. I mean, that just kills you defensively. I mean, what we need to, you know, it, that's exactly right. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, it, it really is. You know, um, all right, so I've got some thoughts about the the what happened at the end of the game. Um, yeah, let's 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 jump into it. So, you know, you can't I I uh there are <laughs> I'm trying to think about how I'm gonna start this. So it's easy, well, for, well, okay. it's easy for people to exaggerate things, right? To right. It's easy to say, oh, well, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Or, yeah, that's just human nature that people do that. Oh, that's the – he's the best player I've ever, you know, seen or whatever. Like, you know, you or he's – that's the craziest experience I've ever been a part of. I've never been a part of anything like what happened last night. I have that never was, seen – It was insane. It was banana republic esque, like it was, it was like an Eastern European soccer match at the end of the game. I'm I'm pretty sure you said that during like while it was going on, you were like, "This is like soccer hooligan stuff." It is. It was, and um, you know, so I'm not saying that that things like that haven't existed around the world, but like in the SEC, like that. That doesn't happen. And and before people tweeted us about the the basketball game from a few years ago, I first off, I wasn't I don't think I was at that game to throw things on the floor. And so I know I wasn't. And secondly, um, I don't condone that either. Like that doesn't I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, whoever that was, like, shame on them too. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand. You know, what was funny to me is I, we were, I was on Twitter or whatever, and and some, like, national writers or SEC Network, or they were showing clips from, like, you know, Dari Noka or whoever, you know, those guys, and they're like, you know, not to be uh, – I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, so I'm paraphrasing, but they were basically saying, like, you know, these people need to reevaluate their life to sit, or their priorities or something, go home. And, you know, the fans in Knox need to go home and reevaluate, reevaluate their priorities. Well, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, there were fans, mostly from Mississippi State, who would respond to that. Now, he's not an Ole Miss fan. This wasn't an Ole Miss person tweeting out the video of him saying that with mm-hmm. a video from Ole Miss. It's like, what does that have anything to do with the price of tea in China? Like, I don't understand it. I don't <laughs> understand that at all. 
Like it, why are we talking? Why are we bringing that up when to, last night was about last night? And and don't get me wrong. Well, I don't. There was nothing that was the same about those two things, other than things were going from the stands to the floor or whatever. Like yeah, that I don't recall ever seeing a golf ball thrown towards a team ever at any event in yeah. in that at least. I mean, maybe you know of one. I don't know of one. I mean, please link me if so. But I, I mean, yeah. where do you go from there? You know, I just so I, if I'm not mistaken, there's a lot of Tennessee people were sharing that old video. The basketball game was over, if I remember correctly. And it, not that it excuses it, but the game was over. So security were obviously involved, telling people to stop throwing stuff on the court whatever this situation was so different and just so much more toxic and crazy and insane because there was still a minute left in the game to where it finally the guy comes over the PA in Neyland Stadium and it's like please refrain from throwing objects onto the playing surface and at that point it's you know I'm starting to think they had to say that about times yeah, I mean, it was like, are they ever going to decide what they're going to do with this game? And, and you and I were talking before we started that I'm convinced that they elected to finish the game because Tennessee had all three timeouts left, and mathematically they were going to be able to have a shot because they were going to be able to stop the clock and they were going to get the ball back with time. If they had one timeout or two timeouts, I don't know how much time would have been left, but it, it wouldn't have been that much time. So them having all three, I think, as the officials got together, they probably did the math and were like, look, they call three timeouts. If Ole Miss can't get the first down here, they're going to have a shot. So I think that that's a huge reason why they kept the game. Because, I mean, I honestly thought for a minute that they were just going to say, the game's over. Like, we're done. The fans are not cooperating. Um, But at this point, because the game is still going on, because there's still time left, I don't know how you can't – give a you know throw a personal foul you know a dead ball personal foul penalty against Tennessee for that because after the first play once the players got back on the field after that first down run to Snoop and then Tennessee called the timeout they were still hurling stuff onto the playing surface so at that point and it lands right next to the white hat I don't know how he doesn't throw a flag so Austin made a good point to us last night or, you know, I don't know if it was in text or he and I were talking on the phone uh, after the game. If they don't do something, you, you, first off, you've got to do something during the game, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. they have, if there isn't like an unsportsmanlike conduct, or I don't know, even know what you would term that, I guess it's unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, if that, if that's not that, then what is? Now, I understand that the players may not have been the ones doing it, but at some point, like, who's to stop the next team from doing that when they don't like, or they don't agree with a call on the field. And then you have to stop the whole game for 30 minutes, like in protest, yeah. but they're throwing first off, it's not safe for the players and it's not safe for the cheerleaders. That's why Tennessee ran their own. They wanted Tennessee wanted to keep playing yet. They ran their cheerleaders and band out of the stadium. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like when people, I, you know, I've been texting called whatnot and I was getting texts last night you know, are y'all safe? Are you okay? Like that kind of deal. And it's like, yeah, I'm fine or whatever. But I mean, imagine sitting at home and watching that game and knowing somebody's there 
and they're evacuating the cheerleaders and the band from the stadium. It's like, okay, like that is dicey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and so it, it's crazy. But like, if you don't penalize them during the game and just fine them now or whatever you do, you can't like the the casual fan, the normal fan, or the student or whoever. If they're not punished appropriately, and let's say the school even takes a five hundred thousand dollar fine or a million dollar fine or whatever, those people don't feel that. Like that's not that's nothing. I mean. Uh, think about being a sophomore at Tennessee, and like, let's just say, and you you thrown a bottle onto the field, okay, and then this, and along with twenty five hundred of your closest classmates, right, and y'all thrown stuff on the field. This is just for an example. Let's say y'all have done that, okay, and then um, the school gets fined five hundred thousand dollars. Do you care? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean. You, you don't like it. Doesn't, you don't care. I mean, it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to have to pay that 500,000. Yeah. I just don't know. You've got to make an example. I mean, I'm not advocating for anything kind of crazy, but you've got to make an example of, of this. Otherwise who's to stop it from happening again. And like everybody, <laughs> every tweet I've seen from like, yes, they've, they've condemned it, you know, the Tennessee administrators, but they haven't done anything like, they haven't been like, you know, it's been a lot of word salad. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of yeah, word exactly. salad for Greg. Yeah, pretty pretty soft uh, response from from the commissioner, for being honest. Yeah, I mean, it was. And, you know, like I said, I don't want, no, I, to my knowledge, I'm sure somebody did, but to my knowledge, nobody got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. The whole deal. I don't want anything crazy to, but you've got to be loud enough to say, okay, well, for the next home game, we're not selling it. Students are not allowed to come. Like, that would be a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, no student on the field. I, we know that more than just the students um, participated, or we assume, <laughs> unless yeah. there were students sprinkled out throughout the stadium. But it would be loud enough to the Tennessee fan base or to the SEC or to the NCAA or whoever to say, hey, because this happened, you know, the student body is suspended for a football game. Like the next home game, we play Alabama. Do they play Alabama in Knoxville? I can't remember. But let's just say they do. You know, students aren't coming. Oh, it's in Tuscaloosa. They have back-to-back road games, and then they play Georgia at home. So, it's – Aside from that, is if the game get, gets back going, Ole Miss goes three and out. Mac Brown boots a really good punt. Ole Miss can't cover it. Tennessee gets it to midfield. After that, I can't remember how many plays it was. Hendon Hooker gets the first down and gets hurt. Trainers come out, take him out of the game. At that point, you know, Tennessee's out of timeouts. I don't remember. I think it was 18 seconds left how there wasn't a 10 second runoff is it it truly baffles me. And I believe the ruling was there is no 10 second runoff because he got a first down. I feel like that is an egregious rule and a ridiculous gray area for an offense to be able to expose because you're literally gifting them a timeout, a free timeout 
by letting the trainers tend to him. And look, I'm obviously I'm not, Oh, that's bullshit that they, you know, he shouldn't, you know, he should just get up and jog off the field way. You know, of course I'm fine with them tending to an injured player because he didn't come back in the game. So I don't think this was any gamesmanship of faking a cramp just to stop the clock. I don't think we were doing that, but I think that it's ridiculous that because of the first down, they don't have a 10 second runoff. And at that point, while they were tending to Hendon hooker on the field, there were several Tennessee coaches that were out on the field, which as a, as an official, I know you're not allowed to do that during an injury timeout. You can have one coach out there, but you can't have multiple coaches out there coaching players up because, and because with that, you're utilizing it as a timeout. And I thought that that was just ridiculous that Tennessee was able to get away with that because what's going to stop anyone else when they don't have any timeouts and you're, the game is on the line and you get a first down and then you have a guy just fall down with a cramp, a quote unquote cramp or a quote unquote rolled ankle. This, so I, I thought it was from my perspective that the clock operator or whoever was doing that, that was a little bit suspect as well. You know, there were a couple of times where I think Ole Miss had either run the ball or been tackled in bounds. And this was, this was like with three or four minutes to go in the game and Tennessee would do their injury thing. Like, old, like everybody does. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy would get taken off the field and they would reset the ball and start the clock. The, uh, the game clock wouldn't start. And it's my understanding that it should. I mean, if you're tackled in bounds, otherwise, why wouldn't you just fake an injury every single play? If you're going to get a free timeout, every one of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that, that's, I, I think that was a mistake and I don't, I did, I think an SEC official runs the clock. I don't know if that's like a part of the same yes. officiating crew. Is yeah, that the right? E- the ECO is on the field, yeah. So it's not being run in a press box. So it's not like it's a Tennessee guy doing it. Did not know that. Okay. So is it, would he be the same? So does like Vaughn Hemingway, for example, have the same clock operator every game? Or does that guy travel with that officiating crew? No, so the – the clock operator is part of the officiating crew. So he would be a part of Curl's crew or yeah, so it's so it's yeah, so it's different in every game. Oh my goodness. Well yeah, man. Tough but, look guys this year. I'd be surprised if they're yeah. still uh uh employed next year as referees, honestly. They've had some yeah there was it was whether or not that it it's fair to them, you know uh, ultimately, ultimately, I you know I think that they they likely got that call right. We haven't even talked about the one where Corral they took the ball from him. First off, first off, if Corral didn't think the play had been blown dead, he wouldn't have just handed the ball to the Tennessee player. He was th- like he is he wasn't even you know playing football that play. Yeah. He was just like standing there. But I it it sounded to me like and i i think i heard this on a different show i can't remember if rebel grove or the spirit or whoever had said this i tried to listen i i drove back from knoxville today so i had six hours of radio time and i was listening so you know one of them said that they had heard that you know that tennessee had allegedly or fans had had whistles it certainly sounded like there were I whistles. I heard some. Yeah, I know that. That's not that's not making something up. It literally sounded like people had 
like actual coach whistles, referee whistles in the stands. Yeah, it was. I definitely heard it a couple of times because, like, I mean, it was so loud in there that there were times when I was thinking that there was a dead ball foul or somebody was calling a timeout numerous times. Yeah, extremely loud. And and maybe I'm just, you know, maybe that's a, somebody who's confused and they just thought they heard it when they didn't, like we're saying, because it was deafeningly loud in there a few times, especially early in the game. Mm-hmm. But Oh, the you know, loudest place I've been ever. Yeah, yeah, probably so. It's very upright. Uh-huh. Seats are narrow. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I mean, that's that's all you're saying. Like, the SEC's got to do something. I'm not advocating for, like, any individual person necessarily getting punished. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm not the person that's in that position to make that call. But you got to do something. Otherwise, other schools are going to do this. Like, again. And, and the natural progression is for things like this to get worse. Yeah, I mean, ugh, I mean. The way society has shifted over the past four years with, you know, everything that's gone on with the political mm-hmm. landscape, it's just everything is just a powder keg at this point. I mean, it's just that's right. I, I know it was it's tribal mentality. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, tribalism. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> just- I mean, I know it was probably the Lane Kiffin effect. I mean, it was such a big game for that fan base for whatever reason. Um, I mean, it was just, ooh, it was it was wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ole Miss escapes with a win, five and one, heading back to Oxford, hosting LSU. Real quick before we go, um, LSU announces. I think I can't remember. I remember. I think the initial tweet I saw was Pete Thamel might have been the first to report it. Um, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, or I guess Ross Dellinger had it first that Ed Orgeron is out after this season. Um, they're saying he's expected to finish the year on the sideline, um, which I hats off to LSU for getting ahead of that and not letting him create any momentum to stay another year after Saturday's win over Florida. Um, Ole Miss, again, It'll be the third week in a row, another big emotional game. This one's going to be at home, 2.30 CBS. We know they're retiring Eli Manning's number. Arch Manning's going to be in town. There's going to be a handful of other blue-chip prospects in town. It's another huge, huge, huge opportunity for this team to continue to take those steps forward and being in that next tier in the SEC. Um, Early thoughts on this one before we uh, head out tonight. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, no, I mean, you know, the the like we've said, you you want to win the games um, when you're not playing your best, and uh, because in the past, I feel like the last two weeks, really, uh, Ole Miss has lost these games late in the mm-hmm. game, and I don't know if that's yeah. the Kiffin effect or the Corral effect or a combination of both, probably both. But, um, you know, you got to win the games even when you're not playing well. I don't think that was last night was Ole Miss the best game. At least it wasn't from an offensive standpoint other than Corral. The defense played a lot better because Tennessee had been pretty good on offense uh, the last few weeks, um, regardless who they played. Um, So, you know, you win the games even when you're not playing well. Ole Miss did that. It was a pick them on the road. I don't even know what – I guess it closes a pick them. But the Tennessee crowd was – 
I mean, that turned that into a – I thought it was a five-point home field advantage. I mean, I think if that game's played in Oxford, Ole Miss probably went – I mean, it wins by at least 10, maybe 17. And uh, um, it just they just weren't quite as good as I, I was ready for. I mean, they just weren't. I, I, I expected them to be better. They're really, really not good on the offensive line. And they and then they got somebody hurt during that game. I mean, Ole Miss was getting pressure. Yeah, we sent more people, but we were getting pressure with three down linemen. And, mm-hmm. um, and you, you just you can't give that. And when you a team can get pressure with three down linemen, your the defense is going to look good because then you got eight guys covering you know four or five. So um, all in all, it's a good good win. Uh, move on to the next one. We got to. Ole Miss has got to get past this one and get to LSU quickly. Uh, need to have a really good week, really, uh, like a, injury-wise, we really need to get well for this this next game because, you know, no matter how what's going on in Baton Rouge and how much they're reeling, as we can see, they've still got good players, and we're talking about college football players, and they just beat Florida. So, like, you know, not saying that Florida's better than Ole Miss or is even as good as mm-hmm. Ole Miss. Still going to be a challenge. I mean, Ole Miss opens 12 and a half points, but I mean, you know, still going to be a tough challenge. And I expect Ole Miss to win by 10 plus either way, but uh, good, good weekend. Um, it's a lot better than losing that one last night. And, um, you know, winning is better than losing, in fact. So, absolutely. All right. Benjamin, you made it out alive. You got home safely. Thanks for joining uh, this week's Hangover Edition. Uh, I, I hate that it ended like that because it was a hell of an environment and a great game. Um, on this, it was. It's it was. They <laughs> ruined. They ruined what I thought was the best college football environment I've ever been a part of as an away yeah. fan. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, Ole gets the win. Thirty-one twenty-six moves to five and one. Uh, two and one in the SEC. Um, they're now up to 12 in both polls. So big one next week as they take on LSU. We'll have coverage uh, all over the site leading up to Saturday. We'll have some more podcasts for you this week and our legal gambling council later on this week to pick week eight. Thanks to Ben over there. Thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. And uh, as always, thanks to our lovely sponsors for making it possible. So until next time, for Ben over there, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion, the Hangover Edition. Thanks for listening. We out.